0: So hi, here's Florian with a new podcast guest. So introduce yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Magda uh, Zadara. I work as a product manager at Fernast, uh, which is a telemedical company. And uh, we are part of a company builder called Heartbeat Labs. And myself, I have a background in product design mostly. And I came from the design space and moved into product management about a year and a half ago
0: how this transition happened
1: yeah so i think the it really started back when i picked design as a direction to go into Uh, i studied quite traditional product design so things like designing furniture or electronics or consumer products Um, and i didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was 18. Uh, I studied a lot of different subjects at school and kind of liked many of them. And I, I felt like product design was somehow at the intersection of a lot of different topics. And I really wanted to go in a, in a direction that lets you kind of shape the world around you. And it seemed to me at the time that product design was the way to go. And I now looking back at it, I think that really, this was the start of the road that at the end ended up in product management rather than UX design, for example. So I, I, after finishing my studies, I realized that maybe traditional product design is not necessarily what, what excites me the most and that technology is, is where it's happening and where it's at right now. So I joined a a software development agency um, back in Poland where I come from and I got very deeply involved in the, in the, in the processes there and in the way that we organize our work. And it was a, it was a very good place to learn about the intricacies of how you develop a product and not necessarily a space where you were confined to your role as a designer. Um, so there I, I was officially a UI designer, but uh, it was a very collaborative space and, and we had a, ro- a lot of room to, to shape our roles um, in whichever way we, we thought was best for the product at the end. And um, then I, 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 wanted to, I, I wanted to come to Berlin, and, and I joined a company here called BCG Digital Ventures, uh, which is a subsidiary of the Boston Consulting Group, which is a big management consultancy, and, and there the focus is, is kind of on the holistic um, building of a company. And so what they do is they build startups for corporates, and I got exposed to a whole nother level of, of interdisciplinary collaboration and of, of kind of this this whole entire process of building, not just a product, but a, a company really. And I think through all of these transitions, um, I, I realized that my strength and, why I, I came to product design in the first place was not the craft, uh, which I admire and I love and I, I, I honed for a long time, but it was not the reason I was there. The reason was because I like to connect the dots. I like to do problem solving and um, my strengths are really in, in multitasking rather than doing a task for a long time and doing it very well to the last detail. So, so at, while at BCG Digital Ventures, I um, I realized that that, or I got interested in moving closer to product management rather than design, and um, and really started learning about it much more, and, and realized that just my skill set is uh, my skill set is much more suited to product management rather than design. But I still am, by background, by training, quite rigorous training, a, a designer, which I think also is a, is a huge benefit for my work as a product manager right now. Um, and, and so I think it's just, you know, as it is often in life, looking back, it makes a lot of sense as a journey. Uh, I think while I was on the journey, it it didn't necessarily seem that clear. Um, yeah.
0: So would you say it's you're still bringing design ideas in your your product manager job or you try really just to to bring people together and let them do the stuff and just manage it more
1: yeah I definitely bring human-centric design processes into my work I studied in, a, in an environment where which was very kind of uh, in the IDEO and and d school spirit, um, and where everything was about the user, and it was heavily centered on the process of developing a product rather than the execution of it, um, and so that really stayed with me, and, and that was for me always design, and that I for sure still bring to the table while being a product manager. Obviously, while meandering through different roles, I and and companies, um, I also developed a great. Admiration and, and passion for software development and delivery. Um, while I don't have any, I don't code myself and I, I don't, other than some hobby hobby projects, I don't, I'm not an engineer, but I, through working with engineers for a long time, I also developed a big passion for the processes that allow software to be great and for, you know, what they call software craftsmanship. Um, so I, I definitely have, passions and strengths outside of design that I bring to product management. Um, but I, I don't think I will ever shake my, my background and my training. Um, and I, I don't want to, because I think it's very beneficial to, uh, to being, to being a product manager.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, I remember you told me that, like in the age, uh, like at the agency in Poland, that like it was quite interesting culture because on the one side you, you were quite cross-functional and like also the management is pretty much involved in, in doing stuff. So what were the benefits and probably also the downsides of that, like in this culture?
1: Mm, yeah, it was a very very interesting company. Uh, we. Worked uh, in a team of developers and designers, mostly when when I was there, and uh, it was a very experts-driven culture and a very domain-driven culture. So, so this focus on excellence and on software craftsmanship was very much at the forefront, rather than on um, rather than there being a focus on processes or, or. Business management, in a way, and I think that that works really, really well when you are brought in as a team of experts to help clients build something in a domain that they know very well. So, if so, we would support clients um, like Dolby or like Philips, who would who would be thinking about launching maybe a mobile app. So we we'll focus on mobile apps. And and but they weren't really sure how to start that team, or they weren't really yet that invested in that particular product, and so we would help them build up the the first MVP, so to speak, of this app, or 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 even accompanied it for a longer time. But we were really brought in as the as a technical expert, and I think in that context, it works really really well. The reason why I move ended up moving away from that role and and from that company was because I yearned for something that was more holistic in a way so i i felt like the success of our project was oftentimes dependent on the quality of the of our counterparts on the client side
0: Yeah,
1: and it's somehow i wanted to know more about the business processes and the the organizational processes that come before you decide that you need a mobile app or you, before you decide that you need that particular product. So really I wanted to just kind of expand my horizons. I wanted to learn more. And, and so that's why I moved away from it. And I guess you could, you could say that that's a sort of limitation of that model. Um, at the same time, it's, it, it taught me a lot about attention to detail and a lot about expecting a certain level and standard of code and of design and of just, delivery excellence that that i very much carry with me till this day and that was very very helpful as a as an early experience in my career for sure
0: it's a it's a good point because like it makes sense if you say uh, you're really good craftsmanship and design and development doesn't mean that like what you produce at the end just brings value to the people who use it because if you don't control the business side, you completely rely, rely on them, if, that they make good decisions. We're still able then to develop it in, a, in an agile style, which mean that you would do consistent user tests with your customers?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We very much advocated for that and we uh, tried to get as much research and testing in as possible I worked on uh, one particular app uh, there for an organization called Best Buddies. They are uh, they are an, an NGO from the U.S. and they focus on on integrating uh, people with intellectual disabilities into communities. And uh, there, we even kind of flew out and went to a conference that the organization was hosting to really meet with their members and to meet with the community and to really find out what it was that they were uh, that they needed and that was their pain point. And that was great because it allowed us to to really look at this product and say, okay, we think this is what you need. This was mostly because the client who was ordering this was open minded and, and and aware enough to see that they needed that. Uh, so I think it all depended on, on the setup. But we had very, very, we were very much advocating for it, and uh, we were. I think, if I remember correctly, we, most of us were industrial designers by training. Okay. And I think that also shaped the way that we approached UX design because in industrial design, you don't, you don't actually, you cannot validate after you've produced it. Yeah. <laughs> so prototyping and and testing beforehand is really part of the job and it's it's inevitable. In in software design you can argue for it and you can you know, you can see the benefits etc but you, it's not really as heavily weigh, weighing on your process as when you produce 500,000 pieces of a plug and that has to work or you yeah. know Whatever. So, so I think that it's in, in all of our minds, it was very clear that this was the only way to go. And so we, as a design team always advocated for it and, and had the support of, of our management. But of course it was always dependent on the, on the client, on the client.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you're working right now in the medicine sector. Mm-hmm. So do you want to explain uh, to the listeners what fan do, what fan is?
1: Absolutely. So FanAst is a, in a broad sense, a telemedical platform. And what we do is we allow patients who know their health well and who know their symptoms and their their issues well to get a prescription and medication online so a a standard case for that would be a chronic disease that you have maybe you have asthma or even acne and for that you need a prescription so if you want to do it the kind of classic way uh, you have to go see your doctor every three months you have to you know go through their office you have to sit in the waiting room you have to be exposed to Potentially to other sick people, etc. You have to go through the whole spiel in order to, at the end, see the doctor for 30 seconds, just check in whether you still have, like, whether your symptoms are still the same, and then get a prescription, go to the pharmacy, etc. So this is the main pain point that we're solving for at the moment, which is that we allow patients to go through a uh, questionnaire-based process where they describe to us their symptoms in a very structured and and organized manner, uh, and then... Very much like they would to a doctor, and then one of our partner doctors reviews that questionnaire, decides whether it's appropriate in that case to give a prescription or not, and then writes a prescription and uh, sends it to our partner pharmacy, and our partner pharmacy sends the medication to the patient. So you don't actually have to leave your house if you don't want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the medicine sec- sector is like really regulated. I'm guessing mm-hmm. they're really regulated. Oh yeah. So. Um, how you handle that so you just find a niche where you say there's completely covered or how did you approach this problem
1: yeah it's a it's a big challenge in the industry right now Um, at the same time at this very moment regulation is changing very very fast in in Germany and this is also why I think we're seeing a lot of uh, e-health companies popping up but from our perspective, it was always about finding a very specific use case or a very small niche, as you say, and and starting there, and really understanding what is the pain point of the patient right now. Is there a safe and 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 sound way to solve it in the current um, landscape? And then um, started with a small. It started with a very small MVP uh, almost two years ago, and or even longer than that. And uh, then sort of was validated as a, as a kind of good base to build on. And of course, we want to expand our services and we want to, in the end, serve more than just uh, repeat prescriptions and, and become really the go-to place. But we knew that, especially in the medical sector, and actually, you know, I would advocate in any product that we're starting to start with a very specific use case, but in this case especially, it was important to find something small that you could then build on and then that you could use to understand the landscape and the regulation through.
0: Yeah, and then uh, how you keep track for the changing of the relation? So you just regularly have checked the official German government side for publishing of new laws? Or the, how do you handle this issue?
1: Yeah, so we are quite uh, lucky or privileged as a startup to be part of a company builder, which is dedicated for healthcare. So, Heartbeat Labs provides us with a lot of infrastructure, so to say, and connection into the into the health industry. Um, and there, there's a there's a legal counsel there who who is kind of. Always reviewing all of the all of the legal situations and, and informing the team about changes that might be relevant to one of the ventures or that might just generally be relevant to the development of the group. So uh, there's we have a lot of um, kind of dedicated resources for the healthcare space. I think that if you are a lone startup in the wild, so to say, or if you're you work in a in a more generalist agency. Um, I imagine it it to be a lot more difficult than when you have a whole group that's just entirely focused on the health sector.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, what would you say are your biggest, biggest challenges today?
1: For a startup in the medical sector?
0: Yeah. And for you more specific like for finance and stuff?
1: Right. I think the, the complex regulation for sure is one of the big challenges. I, it's, Quite obvious, but but it's also the truth. It's why it's still quite a high barrier to entry for startups in the medical sector, um, and especially things like in German fund. So the the uh, how would you say it? it's like the the way that you structure billing and 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 it's how money kind of flows through the insurance system. Yeah. Uh, it, it's incredibly complex and even doctors sometimes uh, struggle to to understand uh, especially things that are outside of their area. So to so that's one point and the other point is still that the access to telemedical services is kind of limited because they are only, kind of minimally refundable, right? Yeah. So so I think that the big thing that we are advocating for, that we are waiting for, that we are kind of pushing for in a way, um, or would be very excited to see is a is a better integration of of digital services into the especially the public insurance, the statutory insurances of in Germany, right? Because this is really what gives everybody access because as long as you have to um, pay for services yourself or be privately insured to use them and um, and have them refunded of course it's still not a, a very democratized offering right so so I think this is something that we would be very excited to see and also from a product perspective of course if you want your product to be available to as many people as possible, and this is really also where the strength of telemedicine is, right? It's not in big cities. It's not in wealthy areas. It's in providing access to people who would otherwise maybe not have access or who are losing it due to doctors moving away or practices closing, etc. So this is really where the main benefits of telemedicine lie. And, and in order to be able to use them and to be able to provide them fully, um, the system needs to be still needs to change a bit um but i I think that it's it's happening and you know there's a there's a very passionate minister who obviously is is uh this is at the forefront of his agenda so we are quite confident that this is going to change in the coming years and um yeah and then then we will we'll see how it develops i mean also the 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 medical the med tech sector is a very collaborative space, and and everyone's quite keen to to exchange ideas and to work with each other because we all know that it's a challenging environment, yeah. right? So this is actually quite nice in a way. I know I was meant to talk about challenges, but this is actually a an anti challenge. It's it's nice to have this boost that there's quite a community pushing everyone kind of pushing for the same thing.
0: Yeah. I'm. I'm guessing the challenge still stays the same. You have just some companions with you, which help you to handle that. Yeah. Um, So we say like the biggest one of the biggest limitations is the health insurance system itself. So you find a way around to just go for private insurances or for just certain uh, health insurance um, providers. Or how did you handle that so far?
1: So far, we are a service for self-paying customers yeah. I don't know if that's the English word um, so we you have to pay out of pocket basically for our services um, and we are currently looking into how how that can develop in the future but there's nothing right now which we can we can announce um, I think both we see a lot of movement both in the private uh, health insurances and the statutory health insurances they are both both have projects in the works which are suggesting that they are very excited about digitalization, right? So I think that um, it, it hopefully it could be all of them, but but there's nothing right now which um, which we are, have available for our patients. Um, so we don't really have a solution for that right now. That's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: so let's let, so probably then you hope for the next five years or in the next five years that like this whole integration of the of the different insurances that they open up more and like give easier access to the systems probably
1: absolutely yeah this is this is definitely something that we see in the next five years and I think that this is also where the push is is going Um, the I mean even if you look at the doctors associations in Germany who are um, you know as any Societal group. They are some of them are skeptical, others are enthusiastic about digitalization. And we are also, as a company, we believe that doctors will always be the driving force behind healthcare. And we by no means want to want to replace doctors. Um, but, anyways, what I was getting at is the doctors' association um, allowed for telemedicine uh, a year ago. Um, over a year ago in Germany uh, to treat patients for the first time, so, so previously you could only treat person, patients remotely that you had seen before as a doctor, um, and so, so you can see that they are also moving in this direction. So I think all of the players are showing that, that it's going in, a, in, a, in the for, from our perspective right direction in the direction of, of broader access, but how this will play out in detail uh, we, we, will, we shall see.
0: Yeah. Point. What would you say a young person need to do to become a product manager?
1: I uh, this is a very difficult question because I think there's right now no established route into product management, and I don't even know whether it's advisable or a good idea to start as a product manager. Um, most People I know who are product managers started in different roles and then became product managers later um, because you have to kind of learn this product development process in a way be- before you can coordinate, right? So um, so in my case, I started as a designer. I know product managers who used to be engineers or business owners, product owners, but always kind of had, they had one of the roles or one of the perspectives and then Familiarized themselves with the system and then kind of became, uh, uh, this binding function of a product manager. I think that if you, if you, for some reason at 18 somehow know about product management and know that you want to do it, um, I think I, yeah, I don't really know. I think the best way from my perspective or my opinion is that you still, the best ways to go through one of these three functions. So either through um, being a business analyst or or a, yeah, a business analyst or a software engineer or a designer. Yeah, makes sense. And just learn the basics and then go from there. Oh, yeah.
0: So in the tech world, there are a lot of uh, male persons present more than <laughs> more than female persons. Uh, would you say this affected your career?
1: such a difficult question, because I think that it's a super, super complex issue. And I think that it obviously, or from my perspective, and from my reading and my experiences and my conversations, there is no area in my life which was not affected by my gender. And that is that is the reality. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a bad reality or sad reality. It's just that we get socialized in a way Um, by our parents, by our schools, by everything, according to certain expectations that people have of your gender. And I think that this for sure affected my career in a way but also just any, any part of my life. And I, but I don't know what would have been different. I, I don't know how to imagine what would have been different if I was a guy. Um, but I, I certainly think that being brought up as a girl, you, certain aspects of your personality that are nurturing and caring and kind of um, a certain type of, what I'm getting at is, I think I think product managers have a, a job that requires a lot of kind of servant leadership. I don't know okay. if, if you know that um, that concept, which is the idea that you you can actually only effectively lead a team if you're if you're kind of a, a servant to them, or if you if you're serving their needs rather than a leadership by by strong opinion or or by example. And I think that if you get brought up as a girl, then Many aspects of, of, of your personality that are in that direction of nurturing and care and support get, um, get actually strengthened and encouraged more than if you were a boy. Um, and that of course depends on also on your family, uh, so on, on what your parents do, whether your dad is actually a primary, whatever, you know, the, the, the social structures that you grew up in. But I still think that, Actually, from where I'm standing, it looks like because I'm, because I was brought up as a girl, I might even have some certain qualities that give me more strength and more patience and more empathy in my daily job as a product manager than maybe I would have if I was a guy. I don't know if that answers your question.
0: That's a really interesting (laughs) answer.
1: But it came to my mind and I was also having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day and uh, he, a guy seem to to also have spotted that, that there is something about female product managers that makes them, anecdotally, anecdotally obviously we don't have research on this, but um, that makes them a bit different than, than male product managers.
0: Yeah. Like, everyone has their strength, that's, yeah, exactly. that's good, and, um, to play your strength is always the best. Cool, yeah. And, for, for learn, learning and educating yourself on um, mm. what you like to do. What's your favorite book, for example, favorite books?
1: So two, these are really two questions, right? Um, I, I like to read and I definitely take inspiration and knowledge from books. I recently rediscovered a book that I read a long time ago. Uh, it was part of my education called Liquid Modernity. It's a okay. book by a philosopher called Sigmund Baumann. He's a, he's a quite well-known postmodernist uh, philosopher. And it's just a, a very thoughtful and interesting look on how society changed through the ages of like from industrial age to, to information age. Yeah. And uh, that really, I think as a person working in tech, it's sometimes I find it important to, to take a step back and to, Read things that are maybe not necessarily very tactical, yeah. but are more removed, and look at the structure as a whole. And 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 I found so so especially Liquid Modernity. I found very interesting and thought provoking when you look at at the software economy and and the 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 industry that we work in. Um. And, but there are many books like this, you know, like uh, Future Ethics or um, or even more. Geeky books like uh, "Geeky" is the wrong word, but uh, "Super Intelligent" by Nick Bostrom. So there's—is um, it Nick Bostrom? I hope it is. Yeah. Um, theory, right? So just basically trying to read not necessarily how-to books or handbooks, but trying to read books that are more maybe a deeper look into into what it actually is that we're working on and what it is that we're building. Um, and also, I love how to, uh, not to how to, but to be a machine, uh, which is a book about transhumanists, which is just kind of cra- crazy, a crazy book on people who, who want to upload themselves to the cloud or become cyborgs, etc. So I like to read these kinds of books more than I like to read uh, handbooks. However, I do have a handbook recommendation, um, which uh, there's a book called Product Management in Practice, which is really good about product management. Um, Anyways, but that's the books. And then there's uh, how I like to learn. And I think that the reality of how I learn is through interfacing with people. So, A, I am quite a fan of the tech community. I think the tech community is actually a, a beautiful thing that is quite unique to this industry. And the fact that people share knowledge for free the fact that companies uh give out kind of their secrets for free um my brother is a theater director and he was like he was just shocked when i told him that facebook engineers go out on a stage and kind of present what they're working on he's like oh i wish that theater people would do that anyways but um so i I, you know this is how i ended up here because we met at a meetup and and i think this is a, a great way to learn and i also have um try to keep close ties to to people who I used to work with who were either mentors of sorts or inspired me or, you know, were were just people I admired in their work, which is close to product management. And, and then you can just ask them for advice. And actually, this can be much more situational than than just going to a meetup or reading a book because... Product management is just so unique to every product and every team and every company that you work in that it's, I find it very hard sometimes to take advice off the shelf and apply it to yeah. your own situation. Yeah,
0: that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And the last question. Yeah. If you could go back in time to your 18 uh-huh. year old self, what would you tell her?
1: Um, to chill. <laughs> I, and, and that would have been impossible so, so I would empathize with that uh, I think I was very determined to, to know what I wanted to do to have a plan and to, for that plan to be right and actually after my first trimester at university I knew that design the craft of design is not what I should do and that is wrong for me but I, th- I thought it was too late to change um, I was 19 at the time And, uh, I, I just, it's, it's amazing to me that I, that I thought that it was too late. It's just, it's just amazing. Like I just, and I was very convinced that it was, it would be a total failure, a catastrophical failure if I changed what I was studying, that it would somehow be very embarrassing. So I think, and this is actually the advice that I give to, uh, I have a lot of nieces and nephews and cousins and, and, uh, somehow they're all turning 18. Um, and (laughs) The advice that I gave them, all of them, was to take their time and and figure out what they really wanted to do, and maybe do some internships before you pick a, a study course. Don't go to university at all. But uh, you know, my aunts and uncles hate me for that, but for saying that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that you just give yourself time to figure out what you're good at, and then if you don't like it, do something else.
0: It's never too late to change. No, absolutely. Cool. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. See you next time, guys.